you went under the wheels. How affected. Welcome to Under the Wheels. I'm Matthew. And I'm Gabe. And today we get jazzy and animated with Disney Pixar's Soul. The best I got. Works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Soul came out, what... End of 2000, end of 2020. Maybe one of these days we'll actually talk about a movie that's been released this year, but, uh, but not today. Well, it's still, it's still technically fuck you. It's January, so right now it's just, uh, it's all digital releases of you know movies that got a very, very limited theatrical run in 2020, so that they could qualify for the Oscars. So you're still getting good stuff, but it's like, oh yeah, it's the you know, it's the 2020 asterisk movies, which are like people never understand that they're like, well, it, but it's coming out in 2021. Why does it say 2020? It's like, I could explain it to you, but I don't have the succinctness as Gabe does. So the initial release was in 2020. The home video releases in 2021. That's why you're seeing it in 2021. Or the initial release was in like what like 10 theaters in LA and New York and so there's a bunch of like snooty hipsters in LA who are like oh yes I've seen this movie well but I mean that's what I mean by initial release that's how movies work is they have an initial release of like 10 seconds in LA and then yeah if it works they do a regular one or they do a festival release if you're Netflix you uh you release your movie for two weeks in theaters in Los Angeles and New York and then you're like you're never seeing this in theaters again well but that that's a lot of that's a lot. That's a lot of studio. I mean, that's every studio now. Well, now, right now, with yeah, COVID, because yeah. they all want to qualify for the Oscars, so they got to do the one week in LA rule. But um, yeah, after that, it's straight yeah. to on demand in one form or another. I think they changed it though this year so that more movies can qualify. So like Meryl Streep can be nominated like five times instead of just the normal one, because she's in so many streaming movies. She's in like two this year. Two that came out right at the end of the year. One for Netflix in Prom, which I don't know if anyone watched. And then in the Steven Soderbergh movie, which also I don't know if anyone watched for HBO Max. I'm wondering when people are going to just finally come around to the fact that like outside of Kramer versus Kramer and Sophie's Choice, Meryl Streep is just like, I... (laughs) (laughs) She's had two really good performances and everything else is like, eh, it's okay. Like, it's not bad or anything, but she's not, like... I don't understand why she has so many trophies. I always think about um, the the Vanessa Kirby movie that you watched that I can never remember the name of. Pieces of a Woman. Pieces of a Woman, yeah. I'm like, the portrait of a woman that's in pieces that could or may or may not be on fire in blue. Um, but in your review and even in the you know on the episode you say that like people will remember the histrionics of it and i was like i've heard that word i've never looked it up and i feel like a lot of the time people love meryl streep because of like because of some of her histrionics in some of her movies like like kind of like how al pacino everyone's like oh i love al pacino because he's because he just chews scenery the whole time and it's like meryl streep's not that bad but anytime it's like oh this is a a a performance worth watching it's like oh you mean julie julia where she's just like hamming it up the entire movie i mean that's the thing she's not like it's not histrionic in the sense of like screaming and crying histrionic which is what you know the academy usually goes for right but i guess it's like reverse histrionics where it's like really over the top like happy all the time (laughs) 
Yeah, or like um, like with the Devil Wears Prada, I think the big thing was like, oh my god, look at how accurately she's portraying this complete asshole. But at the same time, look at this one scene that makes me that like makes me relate to her. And then at the end of the movie, she smiles, which she hasn't done the rest of the movie. G give her gold, like. All right, guys. All right, let's let's calm down. Well, and you contrast that with like Glenn Close, who's clearly at this point just desperately trying to win an Academy Award any way she can, but approaches it from so many different ways. Wasn't there wasn't there one movie that like she almost won an Oscar for where she played a dude, and yeah, I walked. I was thinking about that. And I was like, you know what? That actually that makes sense. It's it's a it's a smart move by Glenn Close. <laughs> Albert Knobs, I think. Yeah. Oh, Lord. They have knob in the title. <laughs> what was it? Um, there was a movie where Linda um, Linda Hunt played a uh, played a man. So it's not like sometimes they'll use it to be like, oh, or, or I, I guess the easy go to person is Tilda Swinton. Like in half the movies she she's in, she's playing a man. So it's like, all right, Glenn Close. I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to do the whole eddie redmayne thing where you uh you go for the most like this is going to be a challenging role because i'm not actually one but if we actually hired someone who was one we wouldn't pay it any mind kind of role you know it's kind of fucked up modern family is that you know it it is a show and it's an okay yes. show <laughs> there's a gay couple in it and one of the characters, the actor, is actually gay in real life. The mm -hmm. other one, the actor, is straight in real life. They're both, you know, funny. But the one that's straight in real life, like, won an ungodly number of Emmys in a row. <laughs> While the one who's gay in real life never got nominated. And it's like, is this... Is this, like, some weird, subtle prejudice going on or or what <laughs> like like okay yeah. like if i put on blackface and play malcolm x actually no my skin tone's not far from malcolm x. yeah no i was gonna uh, say it's not it, that wouldn't be okay <laughs> i play jim brown um okay. like would i have <laughs> does that mean my odds of winning a trophy are better than an actual black person <laughs> because no, no. <laughs> i have to take no. a greater leap is that how they think about this stuff no, it would be uh, it would be the well. Okay, so kind of because don't forget Robert Downey Jr. was nominated for Tropic Thunder. That's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think what's what's kind of puzzling and upsetting is that like you know I appreciate Modern Family because they did a lot of things good, they did a lot of things bad. But the guy who the straight guy who plays the gay guy plays the gay character almost as a caricature of a gay man in the first couple seasons. Yeah. And then they add in a lot of other things that make it, that are like, Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. Like he ends up becoming like a football coach and things like that. And it might've always been there, but like, he's like, Oh yeah. You know, like he, he's, he's kind of like the stereotype of like a somewhat effeminate gay man. Um, and then, you know, the actual gay man, he become like, they let him, he, he relaxes more into his role as the series goes on, but it's almost like, um, Emmys, what are you? What are you trying to tell us? Like, you want us to make sure that every gay person is just like a, a reined-in stereotype? Like, is that what you prefer, as opposed to like you know a nuanced performance in my comedies? I don't know. It's, I don't know. 
I mean, they, they might as well just, uh, if that's the message they're trying to send, they might as well give, you know, best late night talk show to James Corden every year for playing an effeminate <laughs> gay true. man on TV when he's straight in real life. <laughs> when he's, quote, straight, unquote, in real life. It's like, oh, J- hey, James, your beard's coming in really well. I don't have a beard. <sighs> anyway. Um. <laughs> yeah, the the Academy's just buggered. That's all. Like all of those awards things are just has has Viola Davis speaking of like interesting somewhat controversial, I guess, takes. Has Viola Davis won an Academy Award, right? She won for Fences. I think. Looking it up right now. Yeah, I was going to say Viola Davis as I was cuz um I did watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom based off of your review. I was like, ooh, I need to watch this now. (laughs) I like how you watched it based off of my review, which was not good. (laughs) I was like, I need to be in sync with Gabe. We need to have something to talk about. But like, as I was watching it, I was like, she's, she's going to become the, 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 I was going to say the fences. Yeah. Okay. She's going to be the, either the Lawrence Olivier or the Kenneth Branagh of, uh, of August, of August Wilson. (laughs) adaptations <laughs> she's gonna end up directing one and it's gonna be in black and white and have like really strong electro complex undertones in it or something like that there's a jab at um olivier's hamlet which i haven't seen because they omit rosencrantz and gildenstern so anyway that was an obscure reference all right so gabe what is soul about okay soul is about um a a sad middle-aged man who wants to be a jazz musician but you know struggling to make it because it's hard to be a musician especially a jazz musician because no one listens to jazz anymore (laughs) um so he teaches music which he's kind of whatever about and then um he gets the opportunity of a lifetime to play this gig with like a jazz musician he really admires and he um falls into an open manhole and dies in maybe the weirdest death sequence in any cartoon ever. <laughs> so then... Why? Because, because they're teasing his death the entire time. There's like eight different times that something was just going to kill him in the most like disturbing, <laughs> morbid way possible. And then he just kind of has like a Looney Tunes moment and dies. Kind well, we'll get into this in a minute because okay. there's, I think there's some very deep reasons why it's weird. Um, <laughs> okay. So anyway, he is now like this little soul sprite detached from his body, um, and he goes to and you know a secular abstraction of the afterlife, um, where he attempts to get back to his body and ends up in the before life world where like little sprites are given an identity essentially before being plopped into a body on earth and he is chosen as a mentor for an incredibly troublesome little sprite played by tina fey who refuses to go to earth for any reason whatsoever and um they kind of strike a deal where he's like, if you help me get back to my body, I will help you continue to stall out and not have to come to earth. And, you know, they go on this big adventure where they learn about existentialism and stuff. 
and yeah <laughs> it's hard to explain the movie because it is this very like it is this very complicated like other world aspect to it that they set up and explain very quickly and efficiently mm-hmm. but that is really hard to describe just in words like you have to just watch it to understand what the fuck i'm talking about and the other thing too is that like when you describe it it stops making sense because it asks more questions than it answers um whereas if you just watch it you can sort of be swept up in what's happening and not think too much about it yeah i would agree with that i was gonna say they go to the soul realm and then all of a sudden we get a bunch of hits for people who love bleach like the soul realm oh my gosh bring out your zengetsu um does anyone love bleach I thought that thing turned to shit, and everyone's like, universally, just across the board, Bleach sucks now. I, I it's getting like a re, it's getting a revival. They're gonna do the last story arc, which tied everything together with a giant, you know, asterisk because it did, and it did a bad job of it. Um, apparently, I don't know. Again, I haven't actually read it past like, I don't know. You know what had know, the best? You know which I one of these these like overblown. Japanese comic books about the soul world had the best ending. Yu Yu Hakusho? Uh, yes, Yu Yu Hakusho. Because the creators <laughs> got sick and gave up halfway through the final story arc and was like, you know what? It's it's over. It's done. Never mind. So there's just one chapter that skips ahead like 10 years out of nowhere. And they're like, well, a lot of really cool stuff happened that you didn't get to see. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Darn it, I hate it when health issues get in the way of my manga that the Japanese uh, publishing companies demand these people, like, put out something every week and destroy their whole body function and lives over making. I feel bad for for manga artists and and various things because it's just, like, such a thankless job. Like, we we make fun of, um, what is it, One Piece all the time, but I, I think that guy's just, like, (laughs) <laughs> when you describe tom brady how they just like put him in a bunker and he's just like staring at a wall and thinking about football and then they take him out and he acts all crazy for you know three hours at a time every sunday i figure that's the guy who does one piece he's just sitting in a room like drawing one piece and every time they have to like do a quick press conference they like dope him up bring him out so he can say one or two things quickly and throw him back in the room get back to work art, art monkey snap the whip He's like, I've got everything planned um, for like 50 years from now. Anyway, Soul. I mean, Speaking looking at One Piece, artists. it's very clear that Ichiro Oda is completely insane and has had a full <laughs> psychotic break like 10 <laughs> years ago. And that it's just like no one's bothered to treat it. He like actively believes that when he's drawing, his limbs are like extending out like Mr. Fantastic, just like drawing a bunch <laughs> of shit. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh so anyway, yeah. It, so what what do you want to talk about on Soul first? Because there's a lot of places we could go, and I'm just not quite sure where to steer the conversation. All right. Well, um, let's start off with why his death is weird. Yes, let's do it. So the animation in this movie is ugly as hell, but also <laughs> really well done. Wait. Let can I can I let me let me asterisk that because. The real world looks like all of the all the art design of the real world is 
her- questionable to horrendous. It's horrendous. I would say. Imagine cartoon characters with exaggerated proportions like the Incredibles. Um, imagine Mr. Incredible and his boss from the insurance company, but like hyper, super duper realistic. And everything in the world is hyper realistic and everything they touch is super duper realistic. Now, you can probably imagine how fucking disturbing that is. <laughs> here's, here's where like, I run into conflict with it. I think it's, I think it's more of a character design thing because the act, you look at The Incredibles, and even when they did The Incredibles 2, like, the upscaling of textures and the, you know, the advancements that they've made visually still didn't get in the way of the characters looking appealing. But, well, that, but here's why, right? They're not like... They're like, oh, let's do like an up-resed version of The Incredibles, not like, let's give Jack-Jack realistic human skin, you know? I'm, I, well, no, but they did, they did give him like, they gave everyone like realistic texture, and it's not a texture issue, I think it's a design issue, because like the, uh, the main character in Soul, even if you see like a hand drawing of him, it would still probably not look appealing at all because he looks like a his face is the shape of a vase, and like his eyes are his eyes are like really small and really close together, and they just the way that they exaggerated him and the cat too like how it's very hard to make a cat look ugly, and they I made just, this cat look really really horrible. I disagree. I think the the character models are very much in line with Pixar's sort of house style. It's just they went so hard on the photorealism with Soul that it looks really disturbing. Like the the graphical fidelity of The Incredibles two is obviously mm-hmm. really really high compared to the first one. But everything is still cartoonish. It's just HD cartoon-ish. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, yeah. with Soul, it, it seems more like, you know, it's like a Naughty Dog game where it's like, we need this <laughs> saxophone to, like, look so real that you can reach into the screen and touch it. And then we'll have, like, a walking, talking gourd play it, you know? <laughs> Like, they have all these cartoon characters that have, like, wacky cartoon designs, which is fine. And then everything is super realistic, and those two don't go together. Where it's like, if they, you know, if they made the world around them and all the textures on them more cartoony, I don't think the designs would have, the designs would have worked much better. Um, whereas, yeah, it's I, like, I, so, like, yeah, it, I don't, it, it, so, keeping yeah. all that in mind, his death is weird because everything is so... You know, they they seem like they're trying so hard to flex their computing power over there with like, look at what we can do, look at how realistic this is. And then he has like he has like the dipshit two D like fall into a manhole cover that's off open manhole that's off screen death, where like he's just walking across a two dimensional plane and then drops out of sight and then he's dead. And it's like this none of this meshes. This is all just all over the place, and you contrast that with the Soul World, where everything's very simple and like a lot of the details are scrubbed out, and it looks great. And it's um, you know like all the little characters are sort of abstractions of people. Their designs are very simple, which is very nice. And then you have Terry and Jerry, who are just two dimensional, 
and really Terry and Jerry are the best thing about the movie. Like, Oh yeah. By a country mile. They're so fucking funny. Especially because they have New Zealand accents. I know. Why do New Zealand people sound so funny? Like it's them and like, (laughs) (laughs) it's them and the not sophisticated English people that just always sound hilarious. I feel like that's becoming the the uh, the standard English accent, though, because like almost every actor you meet, they're like, yes, you know, I have to put on the sophisticated Queen's English inflection, but really I talk like I'm from Cockney, or, you know, I talk with a giant Cockney accent all the time in real life. Like, Lena Headey is my definition of what all actors seem like they are these days. Like, she can talk with that deep, sophisticated accent, but really she's saying things like what all the time, so... <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> you what, mate? Yeah. <laughs> I really like being in that there 300, eh? My hair looked awful. What? What are you saying? Yeah, so they uh, they gave me this movie, 300. Um, <laughs> 300. You know, it, was, <laughs> it was a good time. It was. Uh, it, it opened a lot of doors for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, like hoity-toity British actors that behind closed doors, that's what they sound like. <laughs> it's And, like, the more British television that, like, saturates the U.S. market, the more that's becoming, like, standard. It's like, oh, that yep. that isn't just... That isn't just, like, a, a thing. It's like... It, it, like, the BBC is okay with everyone sounding like this, I guess. Well, okay. I think... Well. I think they've realized that Americans have caught on. Because, like, 15 years ago... Americans, I guess, had, seem to have this attitude. It's like, oh, wow, their accent sounds so f- sophisticated. And then now, like, you ask any American, like, what does a British person sound like? They're just going to be like, it's Tuesday, isn't it? You know? It's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound like Michael Caine. <laughs> like Michael Caine and Tenet. That's like the, that's, that's what everyone thinks British people are. Look sophisticated. Not exactly the way they sound. Not anymore. Pretty much. It's all. It's all just. It's all for show. It's all visual. It's all Barney. But yeah, so I mean, they're yeah. Terry and Jerry are awesome. I will yes continually reference how great they are, and part of how great they are is because a few of them have New Zealand accents, (laughs) and then the rest are Alice Braga. I like how the what what is it is uh is Jerry or Terry like there's a bunch of different Jerry's but there's only one Terry or is it the there's other a way ton around? of yeah. Jerry's and there's one Terry the, the Jerry's Terry. are all very like easygoing and like they're like preschool teachers they're like oh hi like nice to meet you come on let's go like da, 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 da. they like speak very softly and they're very polite and they're very like placating whereas Terry's like you know kind of the stereotype of the anal retentive accountant. Yeah. <laughs> and I always thought I'll I always find thought, this, mita- I, this mistake reaches out. I know. I found it was I, I found it so funny where he like he Joe, the main character, Jamie Foxx, uh does not go to the afterlife and jumps off the train or whatever. So Terry freaks out because there's like, you know, there's a saw missing. So he's like, you know, it's like I will find you. I'll find you, I swear to God. And then he just disappears for like half the movie <laughs> and then half the movie goes by and then he's just, he's still like going through filing cabinets. He's like, aha, I have it. And then he's back in. 
But like a lot of the best animation in the entire movie is also for Terry and Jerry because they're two dimensional mm-hmm. and do a lot of like neat shape shifting stuff. Like I think my yeah, single favorite visual moment in the entire movie is, you know, you got third act turning point. Our hero is at his lowest. He's been captured by Terry and basically his life's all fucked up. He hasn't been captured by Terry. Uh, 22, Tina Fey's character. Yeah, she's been, uh, she's depressed now, I guess. And then Joe is like, you know, I, I feel disappointed or something. He's, he's all mixed up about stuff. So he has to go help out 22 again. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Terry demands that he receive an award (laughs) for fixing this problem that no one cared about but him. Um, and then when he's accepting the award, he like has this trophy and then his little tail turns into stairs, which he then walks up to like elevate himself slightly. It's only like three stairs to give this speech. And it's such a funny little thing where he just like turns into stairs and walks up himself to like give an acceptance speech. So when I watched the movie, I think I was the only person that was continually laughing my ass off at Jerry and Terry because like the whole concept is like, Oh, we've made ourselves easier to like, we're, you know, we're these abstract notions, these abstract beings. Um, so, but we've made ourselves change appearance to make it more palatable for, for like humans to digest. And it's like their version of looking more palatable is to turn into abstract objects. (laughs) Like, Oh, (laughs) okay. And then like the way they move and everything, um, like out of all of the movies that I would have loved to see in 3D, I would have loved to see these abstract figures. Like, how did they figure out how they worked in 3D? What did they do? Um, so, like, not being able to see the movie in 3D, that's really the only shame. Otherwise, the rest of the movie is like, eh, that's whatever. Oh wait, was this supposed to be in 3D? I'm oh, I'm sure it was. It's an it's an animated movie. They usually make them in 3D. This was the one movie that I was really like. Ah, I wish this could have come out in theaters because, like, it's weird to see Pixar movies just relegated to streaming services, even though Pixar movies don't make any money at all. (laughs) So I guess it makes more sense to put them on streaming. But yes, I love the fact that they're just, like, abstract things that just shapeshift wherever they want. And, like, when when, uh, Terry goes into the real world and starts messing with people, it's, like, the funniest thing. Oh, yeah, he straight up kills a dude. And he's just like, whoops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then he brings the guy back to life, and the guy's just horribly traumatized for the rest of his life. And he's like, hey, uh, just walk it off, buddy. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. It's good. It's, it's all good. All right. Well, I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at some of these abstractions with, like, their eyes are on one side <laughs> as they have this, like, sliver of a mouth. Oh my god, it was just brilliant. Like that Yeah, I mean they kind of look like little Picasso, you know, <laughs> computer designs floating around. Like that's the the Pixar stuff that I'm like, okay, that's that stuff, that's the really inventive creative stuff. Like that's the pushing yeah. the the envelope of like like oh yeah, that, that's great. like with their shorts, they'll sometimes do something where you're like, oh, that's really yeah, that's really creative. And then the other times you're like, oh, they're just trying to get it as photorealistic as possible. I see. Yep. But yeah, I agree that the, to me, the best stuff in the movie is the soul world because like 
all of the designs are appealing and just like the way that they represent the soul world is like look at this peaceful place with these soothing calming colors and every shape is very nice and perfectly soothing and round and soft and blah 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 and yet they have a lot of fun with like making fun of a bunch of stuff um, about like recruitment seminars and and things like that that i thought was pretty funny yeah i mean kind of the office politicky world of the afterlife is entertaining as well yeah i think one of the reasons that they're able to make the soul world seem so easy to comprehend is because they take concepts that a lot of at least a lot of adults would be familiar with and they tie it into like this is how the world in the future were or you know how the world in your afterlife works you hated your office job guess what it's it's the same after you die and you're in purgatory and that's both refreshing because it's easy to comprehend and also really disturbing because Pixar just thinks everything's an office job. It turns out the soul-crushing world of uh, the corporate office is is literally what God intended. <laughs> 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 or the secular abstract that is God in the, in the Pixar universe. Uh, whatever, I don't know. So that know. they can it, appeal to the largest possible audience. It's, it's Pixar. <laughs> They're trying not to offend anybody. <laughs> Uh, it's funny because I, I actually like a lot of the like hyper realism in the real world, but I do agree with you. Or I, I see what you mean by like, it's very, um, it's, it, it makes it even more disturbing when you have these like wacky cartoon hijinks and the cars look like real cars. And so like, yeah. if he gets hit by a car, you don't imagine like, Oh, he got flatlined and he's just, you know, like. A pancake on the floor it's like you know our, our cartoony cg character gets hit by a car and all of a sudden he explodes into like a giant burst of blood and chunky parts like all well, like, imagine watching fast and the terms. furious and vin diesel runs through a wall but it's just like it's like when wiley coyote runs through a wall and it's just like a cut <laughs> a perfectly a shaped cut out in the wall with no rubble or anything it's just like I, like bam it just pops <laughs> like a caricature of vin diesel like that's <laughs> like, what that, that's like that's how it feels watching the the human world in soul i think they do that to create make sure that there's like a really strong contrast between the hyper cartoony uh soul world and the you know the real world which you know what I don't else is know a really strong contrast that would make up for it no what that in the, the human world, everyone's a human. In the soul mm -hmm. world, everyone's a blue ball. <laughs> yeah, and the whole thing is tinted all, like, blue and purple. That, I feel like that's contrast enough. You don't need to go any further than that. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. You didn't see Inside Out, did you? Nope. Okay, so this is it's the same director from Inside Out, and I feel like they borrow a lot of similar principles in kind of, like, how they represent the world. They make a couple of tweaks here and there but like it was a similar thing of you know the inside out world looked like early like inside the mind looked like early pixar movies and then the outside world they tried to render as realistically as possible and they you know they do all of the like subtle mood changes where the world gets more desaturated the more depressed the main character gets and things like that and so like this is this is that but like cranked up to an insane degree because the souls look even more cartoony and the real world looks even more realistic with like real camera and look at that look at that diffused light and the jazz scenes and things like that. 
but I think it makes it interesting when they do kind of hit those creative peaks or those like pure inspiration moments when like the world is flowing together as one and like the soul world meets the real world. Um, I don't know. I thought I, I thought they did that really well where they're kind of combining the two visual styles. But um, I don't know. What did you think about that? Um, what Can do I throw you mean? You off completely. So yeah, every now bit. and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So every now and then, our our hero. Oh, you're talking about like when he gets into the zone. Yes. Yeah. 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 But not the zone that contains the room, the other zone. <laughs> <laughs> As an aside, I feel like everything you. I, I feel like we can relate everything back to Stalker at some point. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yes, getting into the zone. <laughs> Hot take. Soul is just stalker, but not as good. Um... <laughs> Hot take. Anything that has two worlds is just stalker, but not as good. <laughs> and the manhole is the meat grinder. Um... <laughs> 22's right behind him like, you go first. You go first. He's like, ugh. Uh, I mean, yeah, like when he gets into the zone and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm really feeling this piano. I, I just thought of La La Land at the end. And it's like, oh, this is like La La Land. This is this is like that other movie that I saw. So <laughs> I, I, I wasn't really like I didn't have any strong feelings about it either way. OK. All right. Another another movie about jazz directed by a white guy. Anyway, I mean, that, that, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Yeah, especially when, like, on the other side, you have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's like, you could have done something with that, but you chose not to. So, I was thinking about that, too, when I was watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I was like, huh. It's funny that, like, with things like Soul and, like, Damien Chazelle and things like that, where they're like, oh, we want to, you know, we're trying to keep it alive, people. Anyway. For some reason. Well, you know what's weird is like, you know, Damien Chazelle got a ton of flack for being white and directing a movie about jazz. But it's like, it's weird because there's, you don't really see any movies made by black people about jazz. I feel like black cultures yeah. moved on. They're like, eh, jazz is the past. We're on to something new. Yeah. Jazz is like their shorthand for like, but you can't you still like can't that. make any movies about jazz whitey even though <laughs> even though we've basically seeded that ground you still can't touch it <laughs> well i think of um of uh like if beale street could talk and their use of jazz and that and how like effective that was in in putting you in in the place in the moment well, but they, they use jazz in it but it's not about jazz right and th but that's what i think of when i think of like you know black filmmaking and jazz whereas like you know like with damien chazelle it's like literally uh a monologue from ryan gosling about how he's trying to keep jazz alive which is then contrasted with a monologue by john legend where he's like but jazz is about evolution and like i was because the terminal the end of the terminal by spielberg has to do with jazz and they're like this photograph is jazz and like they go and jazz and like oh it's nice and you know they're trying to preserve it um and in things like um Catch Me If You Can, where, like, the soundtrack is very jazz-inspired, written by John Williams, who also did jazz-inspired 
soundtrack for um, the hard goodbye and some other things like that, or the long good, the long goodbye, the long goodbye with by Altman. And it's like, yeah, it's I don't well, really like, know where I'm going. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that with respect, especially with respect to music, but just I guess generally, like black culture is always on the cutting edge of whatever is happening. So like you know, black culture sets the tone, and then everyone else follows. So it's like jazz is old and basically dying, and it seems like black culture sort of moved on from it to you know do new things. Um, mm-hmm. So it's we- like why can't white people make jazz movies? Like you know, you're clearly done with it at this point. I feel like it's a. I feel like people worry because it's a weird form of neutral term coming cultural appropriation that isn't that is done in kind of a uh, an uneven way like i think i i don't know like i think the idea of like and again it sounds really bad because it's like i'm you know i'm basically putting down both uh whiplash and la la land which are two movies that i really liked and actually are a good entry point if you're not into jazz there are a good gateway movie to get into jazz but like the monologue of like Ryan Gosling, just like jazz is dying. Well, it's not going to die on my watch. A man who just plays piano and does, you know, like I worry that like the mouthpiece that they're using to try and preserve this is through like the, the nerd in the corner. Who's like, Oh yes. And the reason why jazz is so good is because we have to make sure that we hit the notes at exactly the right angle and this and that. And like the, like the saber matricians of jazz music are preserving it. And I know it's a, a gross simplification of, of like this idea of why people think it might be problematic that it's cultural appropriation, but that's also like further on in the movie. I mean, every person he references is a historical jazz figure, and he wants to open his club not to be the person always playing piano every night, but to introduce other artists to play piano and and you know work as kind of a um, like a preservation of this art it yeah. shouldn't be lost even if it even if it declines it should never be lost and i would put it in the hands of the people who should be preserving it but they're not getting the voice representation or the care that they want to do for it i know that was a really long tirade on it but that's that's why i think it's kind of complicated i guess my thing is like why can't people appropriate a culture's hand-me-downs when that culture's already moved on to making new things that then people will appropriate yeah. anyways later. Yeah, I know. And again, I, I think it all comes back to like how we view cultural appropriation and cultural representation. So, and like the long and storied history of it all. So. Uh, I really didn't <laughs> want this to turn into the cultural appropriation podcast, but we picked <laughs> like. You wanted to do Soul, and then you ended up watching Ma Rainey, and yep. that, yeah, that, that's literally all Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is about, fuck. Uh, okay. Well, especially when they make it, like, explicitly shown at the end. Of yeah, like, well, it's like, you can see yeah. it coming, too. Anyway, back to Soul. We'll get, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, what lesson does Joe learn about life? In this movie that is an excellent question and that's the end of the sentence <laughs> i'm with you like i 
so your review, and I'm going to reference your review a little bit under the wheels.com. The, um, the title, uh, Poor Handling of Themes Doesn't Very Strong Pixar Effort. About halfway through the movie, I thought it was going to be this thing about how Joe realized the significance of himself as a teacher and a mentor in bringing these things to other people. Did you get that feeling? Like, as you were watching the movie, like, like everyone thought that they, you know, everyone, oh, we need to, everyone has a purpose in life. And his want is like, I want to be a great jazz musician, but then his need to break it down into simple screenwriting terms, his need is, oh, but actually my biggest gift is, you know, sharing the gift to other people and teaching them and educating them about, about things in general. Okay. So here's why this movie is kind of a disaster, even though it's yes. good. So it, before, <laughs> in this, in the world of the movie, before yes. you're born, you are assigned a personality and you are mm -hmm. assigned a spark. Now what the spark is, is not totally clear. Joe interprets it as your purpose in life, but they say, well, it's not really that. It's something else. And then they never really say what. But anyway, you know, his whole thing is like, so the, with him in 22, 22's whole thing is like, she cannot find a spark. She has no desire to live, basically, like most Gen Z kids. And, uh, you know, Joe is like, well, my spark is playing music. I love to play music. And that's my purpose in life is to play music. Mm -hmm. And the movie seems to be building up to this whole thing that's like, you know, well, maybe his purpose isn't playing music. Maybe it's teaching because he's a music teacher who's, you know, a couple of his students like really admire him and look up to him and are inspired by him. And then he's a teacher to 22 as well, where he helps her learn things that she wouldn't have been able to learn otherwise. Right. But also no, like it's... <laughs> <laughs> And then we take another left turn into a pothole. Well, yeah, it's just like it's really deliberately vague about it because it doesn't normal boilerplate Pixar kids movie storytelling is like, I thought life was about this, but it's really about family or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's like it makes sense if his arc is like, well, I really I thought my whole life's purpose was to play music, but really it's about teaching and helping others. Um, which is like, okay, that's fine, I guess. But the movie's like, well, it, but, you know, it's not that simple. And it's like, well, okay, elaborate. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the actual meaning of life is to take a moment and appreciate life. So Wait, then, what? yeah, it gets even weirder, but we'll get into that. Um, so, yeah, like, you know, he doesn't. So then that all of that whole thing, like, like, what's his purpose? What is the spark supposed to represent? Like, what is all this shit supposed to mean? Just becomes a muddy mess. And it gets even muddier when he finally plays his gig with the jazz musician and he gets what he wants. And he's like, he loves it. Like, it's the best moment of his entire life. And then the jazz lady is like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow night. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we're going to play another show tomorrow. And he's like, oh. And he seems like kind of... Like, man, like, I, you know, I, I kind of am not that excited to play again tomorrow. And, like, I thought I would feel, magically feel better because of tonight. And, you know, she kind of says, like, 
she gives him the what is water spiel but like slightly different you know uh how does it go it's like there's there's two young fish swimming along and an older fish swims up to them and says how's the water boys and then the two young fish like look at each other and go what the fuck is water (laughs) she gives him like another version of that which i'm not entirely sure what it's supposed to mean other than like this is life you know like and then yeah the movie just kind of and then like he also saves 22 by you know getting into the zone by being like really passionate about music again which then further like flips it around it's like well okay maybe it's not teaching maybe it is music and then the movie just seems to have no message at all other than like you know enjoy the little things because that's (sighs) right yeah yeah and and then it gets even weirder because you know, okay, in order to be on Earth and in order to inhabit a body, you have to have, like, an Earth pass, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Joe gets back to his body using 22's Earth pass, basically. Right. But he returns to the soul world when he hears 22 is in distress to help her out and gives her his Earth pass, or gives her her Earth pass back, back. essentially, yeah. so she can be born. And then he's getting ready to go to hell, presumably, and, um, <laughs> you know, he's like, I, you know, I, I did what I wanted to do. I achieved my, the biggest goal in my life. I can, I can die happily now or die peacefully now, at least. And Jerry comes up to him and it's like, well, you know, like what you did was really cool. So we're going to bail you out of this movie, having any stakes whatsoever and give you a free earth pass to go back to earth <laughs> and yeah. he's like ah oh, sweet and then jerry's like so what are you gonna do with your life now that you've been through this whole movie and learned all these valuable lessons and he's like i'm gonna enjoy the little things like seeds falling from trees and i'm eating like, moldy bagels fucking hell man <laughs> that's what this movie's like adding up to just like a hour and a half long haiku you know because look like every haiku ever is just some really detailed description of some shit a guy saw and then like life is fleeting at the end of it <laughs> jamie fox wiggling the right thumbstick to find a an indicator so he could hit x <laughs> pretty much so yeah then he goes back to his body on earth and is like has a new outlook on life where he's going to be I don't know, staring at crumbs on the sidewalk. Anyway. (laughs) You're going to be sniffing homeless people's farts. (laughs) Isn't life great? Isn't life great? Wow, I never noticed this before. Like, I'm so glad I I can enjoy the little things in life, which I guess is supposed to tie into the beginning where, like, he's just like, go, 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 go. And he's like, I'm trying to make my hustle. I'm trying to do my hustle, but my hustle's not working. But it, I mean, well, yeah, and the whole arc yeah, of the story yeah. is that twenty two inhabits his body for like a day, and um, you know she's never been to Earth before, mm-hmm. so she experiences life with completely fresh eyes and is just Im- amazed and bewildered by it. And when Joe gets his body back, he sort of possesses all her memories, and he's able to see his own life through you know, fresh, excited eyes. And that's kind of what produces his change of heart. Right. 
Like that that was the moment that's that clinched it. Not like inspiring that kid to not stop with jazz or like talking to his mom or whatever. Finally, yeah, but it's also just like, then what was 22's spark? Was it just like, just nothing? Just like sitting around and like eating pizza and (laughs) and shit? Yeah, I mean, if I had to think of anything, because the only thing that the soul world lacked, which we should note right now, is that you don't actually have any sensory input in the soul world. And so when she finally gets into the real world, she's obsessed with touching and smelling and tasting and and just the sensory overload like oh that's that's my spark to live and which they leave the spark sort of generic on purpose like like um yeah what just makes vague. us yeah like you, they don't really let you think too much about what the hell it actually is supposed to be right also yeah i mean that is an important point like you don't have any sensory capabilities in the soul world what's interesting about that is like you know joe's soul goes into the cat 22 soul goes into joe and they kind of mesh with the physical world in a weird way where like joe experiences everything as a cat so he has like a compulsion to clean himself and things like that <laughs> like how did 22 go a whole day without like ever jerking off you know what i mean <laughs> like she's at no point Hashtag she's like middle age yeah, she's never like at at no point in the, the entire time that she's in Joe's body because she doesn't know anything about the real world. So she's like, "Oh, whoa, what's this?" Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a kids' movie, so obviously you cannot do that. But it's like that. See, like that's a very obvious thing that I feel like a lot of adults would you know would cross their mind while they're watching, and I feel like Pixar maybe could have worked in like a sly joke that only adults would get to kind of like hey you know get your mind out of the gutter or whatever but no they just don't bring this it up at dreamworks. all dreamworks <laughs> oh my gosh i love all of this wood here this is amazing and it's so firm and stiff i just need to touch it no, no none of that uh well the other thing is like if she had just waited like five more minutes like, I'm pretty sure Joe would have either vomited or had, like, a massive case of the shits. And, like, I wonder if that would have been, like, nope, I don't want that anymore. I don't need to live in the real world. Too painful. <laughs> Too bad. I don't like that. I don't like the idea of my stomach just completely being destroyed because I ate freaking bird shit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or what if she's all enthusiastic about life, jerks off, and then is, like, has that post-nut clarity, and she's just, like, you know what? Actually, I don't want to live. <laughs> i I went to an even darker place of like (laughs) she's like oh the reason her spark was like the sensory overload and everything she gets down into the real world and she's like born into a body that like doesn't feel anything can't smell anything has no taste buds it's just like just can see and that's it and she's like god damn it like ugh but that's good. That, that, that'd be a little too real, yeah. What did we learn from Soul? We learned um, New Zealand accents are funny. Which we already knew. Which we already knew. We learned <laughs> to enjoy the little things in life. Mm-hmm. And not much else. Literally nothing else on the existentialism front. 
and we learned that wacky cartoon characters should not be playing photorealistic saxophones. <laughs> or be afraid of being hit by photorealistic cars. I'll, I'll throw one other thing in there that was kind of, the message is kind of like lost in this, is that, you know, 21, they thought that the the people who would teach her the best would be these high concept experts, the people who knew the most. When I, maybe it's just me that I found this in real life, but I think you see it in a lot of sports things. It's like the people who are good or are decent who have struggled a lot to get to 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 acquire their skills or acquire their knowledge end up making some of the best teachers because they understand what it takes to be to like for the for the students who are challenging at least to to learn something they're like a little bit more relatable and of course that that message is kind of like not really that relevant aside from the fact that he's just you know uh a jazz teacher because he doesn't actually teach her anything like his body does but he doesn't really but i've always i always thought that that was an interesting concept that like the best coaches aren't necessarily the greatest players who ever lived they're usually like a couple of tiers down people who almost didn't make it or made it but never did anything spectacular but they can help find and bring out the greatness in in someone else I found 22 to be really annoying and I found her interactions with like famous historical figures to be the most annoying parts of the movie. <laughs> so I didn't care for any of that stuff. Like every, <laughs> I, every one of those, I'm just like, uh, I, I liked, I liked the idea behind it. It's very, Oh, we're going to put this in a kid's movie because the adults are going to laugh at it. And I like the way that they made the caricatures of the uh, of the intelligent people. Like, I thought that they looked funny. And I was like, okay, I know exactly who this person is without you needing to say it. I know exactly who this person is. Like, okay, that's good basic brief storytelling. I do agree with you. I think 22 is extremely annoying. I even told you before that my least favorite thing is the whole body swap stuff. I don't... I just, it's just, maybe it's just a trope that I just don't like very much. Maybe I haven't seen a movie where it's done really well, but like, I, I wouldn't say that this is one of those movies that I was like, yeah, this, this knocked it out of the park. I felt it was more of like, I was like, oh no, we're going to get this for the next 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know it's like super cliche, but the, all of the people who like work to get in the zone that like you know, get high or, you know, do that activity where they're twirling the signs and everything like that. And they go to like the soul realm and they're on this like 1960s reject ship playing, uh, playing all of the, um, all of the psychedelic music. Like I thought it was like a, a really easy go to and a really cheap shot, but I still really appreciated it. It's gotta, gotta reach the, bro the boomer crowd, but I still thought it was funny. And then like, I think the boat like gets blown up or whatever. At the end of the movie, as they're trying to rescue twenty-two, yeah, I think 22. they just like the whole boat gets destroyed. That's <laughs> fun. It was fun. There's a lot of fun things in in the movie, I think, but it's all like the fun stuff is all side to the actual spectacle of the movie mm -hmm. for a lot of it. So, was there anything else about Soul that I was gonna comment on? The Trent Reznor score is pretty good. Yeah, it is. It's again, it sounded a, a lot more like. Um, Daniel Pemberton to me 
because I was like reminded of jobs and uh, like what else like and other Danny Boyle films, um, Molly's Game and things like that, which is Sorkin, but I think Pemberton did the score. But yeah, there's the score is solid. Jazz music's pretty good, I guess. I don't know. I think it's funny that Joe has a hat in the spirit world. Yeah. Okay, I, I'll say this about the ending. I know that, and not to get into like the whole like race politics of this movie again. Oh no. <laughs> but I know that one of their endings, which I think, I think they had a bit of trouble figuring out exactly how they were going to make it as the the most satisfying. One of the endings was going to be that Joe did ascend the stair the the escalator, and like was satisfied that his life was complete and um, and like it was going to end there. Um, and I think they might have gotten some pushback from, from like groups that they brought in to view the movie. Like, hey, we want to make sure we're like on the right track. Is this okay? And I, I'm, I think that someone was like, well, you know, you know, they expressed their own particular issues with it. Uh, so I don't know because like the way that the movie wraps up, I think it would have been satisfying if he did get erased from existence, for lack of a better term. You know, goes up to the staircase and hits the white, the white light and then the credits. But also it's just, it's also kind of depressing that like all of these great revelations in his life, like, Oh, I'm going to spend more time with my mom. My mom doesn't actually hate me. You know, my, I'm going to play jazz music. I'm going to inspire more students. Like if he's like, I'm going to do all this stuff and die. <laughs> like something tells me that would have been a little bit less satisfying. I don't know if they hit the perfect ending because like the whole idea of like, I'm going to live life to the fullest is like feels like a little anticlimactic would have been better like a little montage maybe of him like playing jazz and like teaching people hanging out with his mom or something I don't know I don't know how you would end it differently I think they probably found the best where they the, the most inoffensive ending that they could well and that's what Pixar is it's inoffensive yeah I mean it I probably would have ended it with him going into the white light like at peace with himself because mm-hmm. that's like that's the good end <laughs> in the video terms. game of soul because <laughs> yeah like it, it kind of makes the most sense to me anyway um, it builds to it the character arc is complete yeah and it's also just like yeah he did learn all these valuable lessons and stuff but he died at the beginning of the movie so all those lessons are kind of moot anyway <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like finally learning about physics in your 30s after you already failed like college physics 10 times you know what i mean <laughs> like it's like cool you learned it it's completely useless to you now yeah but good for you i guess i guess it's a good thing that you made up with your mom and that you're living your dream out and by but by the way you're dead yeah I don't know. It's it it's it's kind of a strange. I I will ask you this. Um, so obviously Pixar has a reputation for manufacturing emotions, and like to me the the two moments that are the most manufactured are when Twenty Two becomes the 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 villain from Shadow of the Colossus and is like all black and and going forward as like a like a Miyazaki reject creature. And then, you know, like Joe has to like go inside there and, and, and rescue her or like get her to her, get it to its revelation. 
And then the other moment is obvious is when 22 is like, I'm scared to jump. And Joe's like, I'll jump with you. And like he jumps in, pushes them forward so they get transported to Earth. And both of those moments are like really uh, like the tearjerker moments. Do you feel like the movie earned both of those emotional moments? Or do you feel like or do you feel like they it was like overly manufactured? Um, No, I actually appreciated that they kind of took their their foot off the gas for that stuff in this one Mm -hmm. all the emotional moments in the movie felt like genuinely poignant but they weren't really tearjerker moments or anything they're just like oh okay like that's nice or that's sweet or that's insert emotion here Mm -hmm. you know it's not like it's not like coco where you know they just they start playing the song it's like oh fuck here we go (laughs) they almost had that moment but yeah, there was no, there were like Remember no tearjerker moments in the whole movie, really. All the emotional stuff worked because it was appropriately scaled to what was going on. Yeah. That's funny because I know a lot of reviews that came out. They're like, "You're gonna be your, you know, your eyes are gonna be watering so bad by the end of this movie. This is the most emotional experience that you'll have in a movie on your people couch who this say year. that probably have a Twitter though." Yeah, well, a lot of, yeah. I mean, part of it was, like, Twitter reactions. Part of it was, like, um, the blur, the Rotten Tomatoes blurb that they give when they have some algorithm, like, find the most uh, the most quotable section of someone's review, yeah. um, usually in the first paragraph. But I, I, mean, I agree. I didn't, I wasn't nearly as, like, emotionally, like, oh, my God, this is so sad or this is so cathartic or, you know, like that. Except when, like, he he jumps with her, it, whatever, um, when he jumps with 22, like, I genuinely felt all of the emotions there, just because narratively, sort of the reversal of, like, he's been jumping to try and get back to Earth, now he's jumping to, to as a mentor, to help 22 move on. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, the other thing I thought was going to happen was they were going to say, look, if you want to, you can stay here and continue to mentor people because you have because you are the best mentor we have i thought it was gonna like go in there and then you'd have like the ending where it's like you know showing him like coaching a whole new group of souls to find what really Mm. does matter to them i thought that could have been another route that they went with the ending yeah but yeah yeah. it could have been i actually thought the most poignant bit of the movie is where he gains possession of all of 22's memories of earth Mm-hmm. And uses them to kind of conjure his way back into the soul world to help her. Because mm. it serves multiple purposes. It serves a narrative purpose and an emotional purpose. And it's a cool device. Yep. Of course, most most efficient storytelling devices that we can find. Of course you like that, Gabe. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll... For all my criticisms of Pixar, they are really, really good, um, you know, craftspeople when it comes to storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, yeah. there's no waste in any of their movies. Yeah. Which is what makes the ending of Soul perplexing because to me, they are really good storytellers. And then the end of Soul, it's kind of like they weren't quite sure how they, they weren't quite sure what they wanted their message to be or how. They wanted it to get out. And I think part of it is just the idea that the spark that motivates you for anything you do can be anything at all. 
and the importance is it's just a spark. What you do with it is whatever you want to do. It's your own motivations, but what the thing actually is does not have to be anything significant or special on its own. It just happens to be significant or special to you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there you go. That's I. Do you have anything else to say about Soul? No, I mean, it's entertaining. It's a good movie. It's just, it. I think it tries really hard to be deep and ends up being a hot mess on that front. But, <laughs> you know, I applaud him for trying. And, like, everything else besides that about the movie is pretty good. Well, that and the, yeah. the, that awful-looking human world. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I thought Viola Davis was the, or Viola Davis was the uh, the jazz saxophonist. That's and then I found out it was Angela. Well, then I found out it was Angela Bassett, and I was like, oh, okay. But they both have, like, powerful voices that are also a little bit deep. So that's why I was going off. I was like, well, because Viola Davis is in, like, everything these days. So it makes sense that they'd get her for that. And then it was Angela Bassett, and I was like, oh, that ma- I guess that makes more sense. Because she's, she's making that Disney money with Black Panther and, and Soul and things like that. Yep. Uh, anyway. What would you give it? Me, I I talked about this on the podcast a uh, couple of a uh, couple of yeah, but episodes ago. But it's 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 a witness for me. I think it's worth watching. Yeah, I'd say it's like a high witness. Yeah, it it's it's not quite as like overly amazing. And it's funny because it sounds like we were just shitting on the movie the whole time. <laughs> I think it's really good. I think I still feel like there's some weird, like as far as how things happen. There's stuff that I don't love because I don't like the body swap. Excuse me, I don't like the body swap stuff, but I love the sort of abstract imagery. I like the way the soul world looks. I think the color sense is really good. I, I actually did grow with the the real life stuff, but I never got to the point where I was like, these characters look ugly. Like, I never got past that. I always thought the characters were just like very well animated, but very That's ugly also looking. racist, Matthew. <laughs> get canceled over the character design of soul but you know overall overall it's definitely worth a watch like most pixar movies they're they're the best at what they do wait so then what do they do if they are the best (laughs) what they do isn't very nice for all my wolverine fans out there sentimental stories using like I don't want to say offbeat concepts, but like they always find an interesting spin on what would be kind of dull or weird topics and humanize them um, or realize them in in ways that are associable to us. And then they apply can take like inanimate things and and give them humanity, like yeah, or yeah, like cars and toys and scottish people (laughs) there's a bunch of people in the there's a bunch of people in britain now who are like yeah um after we just insulted how they talk for like i know don't get don't get too excited english people i am scottish so i don't like you (laughs) but like pics there was a meme that came out a while ago when inside out came out like what if toys had feelings what if monsters had feelings what if cars had feelings what if scottish people had feelings and then Mm. what if uh what if feelings had feelings and it was like oh so that's part of what pixar does 
But the other part is they take like modern concepts and apply them to, well, except for Brave, I guess. They take modern concepts and apply them to either abstract or fantasy things. Like Monsters, Inc. was like, let's take the business world and apply it to monsters. Do you think that Pixar just applies their like Silicon Valley business crap to everything? They're like, what if monsters were a business? What if the afterlife was a business? What if <laughs> what if your the human mind a was a business? What if superheroes were a business? Uh, yeah, it, The Incredibles is like the the one like super outlier. Well, and also Toy Story because Toy Story well, they're not like what. Well, I guess I think even everything Toy Story, everything like, Brad Bird does seems to be an outlier. Yeah, but like even Toy Story, they're like we have a job on this planet. Our life's mission is to play with kids. Like. That's not weird at all coming from Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, man, you know, it's like, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. So Pixar is intent on making sure that everything all of their characters do is a job that they love. But yeah, and then there's, and then there's The Incredibles, which is just like, Brad Bird likes superheroes and Watchmen and cartoons and violence. Let's make something for the kids or for the for the preteen boys and adults will love it too. And then a cooking movie about a rat trying to find out the real meaning of life. What if <laughs> the cooking Incredibles, had emotions? The Incredibles is just uh, some people are born great and some people aren't. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Ratatouille to a, to a lesser extent. Some people to are born extent. to cook. And then there's Linguini, who was literally born from a chef, who can't. I know cook. he's got. He's li- he literally like has the genes of the greatest chef in all of France, and he can't cook. But the rat is a genius. The rat with this super sensitive palate. It's like, yep. look, guys, just because you have a sensitive palate, or just because you have a sensitive this, does not mean that you're useless. And and it does not mean that you're just there for to check to see if food is poisoned. I don't know. Ratatouille's still probably. It's still probably my favorite Pixar movie. It's one of the best ones for sure. Yeah. It's also where they started using like that really nice soft diffuse lighting. Obviously they had it for a purpose in that. It was just like, isn't France romantic? Isn't Paris romantic? We're going to make it look like all of those movies um, that took place in France where it's all hazy and everything like that. And so I, I appreciate it for that. And also like every single thing in that movie feels very intentional like every single choice was like yes, we mm-hmm. like when when Remy is in the enters the kitchen, everything's shot from his point of view, so it's all low angles, and then mm-hmm. eventually he and Linguini start seeing eye to eye, and so then they're always framed like almost even the whole time. So yeah, Ratatouille's awesome. Soul's good too. Yeah, it's one of the better ones in recent years. It's one of the ones that feels more genuine, I think. I mean, I know for you, you're not a huge fan of Coco. I I still really like Coco. I think that I I oppose you in that I think that the emotion when it's like when he's trying to have the grandmother remember her father, I think that they do a good job of building up to that. But there's other things like Onward I I enjoy but feels very calculated in how it's executed um what else did they come out with recently toy story 4 also feels very calculated in how they want it to and how they wanted the things to come out like the emotional i don't think the fourth entry in any franchise could be anything but calculated 
Well, it came out like almost longer than Toy Story 3 took to come out. Let's see, the fourth Still. entry in any franchise. Yeah. Yeah, because you look at episode one, you look at uh, an unexpected journey. And then, of course, there's Lethal Weapon 4. Ugh. Ip Man 4, when Ip Man 4 finally comes out. Yeah, they did an Ip Man 4. It's already out. Oh. They should have And I'm sure it's incredibly too. calculated. <laughs> what do we need to see in this movie? We need Donnie Yen fighting. We need... Nope, that's Pro it. Pro-communist prop- propaganda. <laughs> we need a random Bruce Lee reference that doesn't fit the timeline of any of the movies. <laughs> we need to have the we need to have english colonists get their ass beaten back to england so we can take over hong kong we need um yeah i've never seen any of the Ip man movies i just know people love them they're pretty good so, i mean they're you know they got good like kung fu fighting and shit the stories are not special or in any way can't i just watch the grandmaster and like condense all three of all four of the movies into one two-hour movie where people do all of the talking via voiceover (laughs) wistful voiceover i swear the grandmaster is like the weirdest movie because whenever i think of like kung fu movies the first name that comes to mind is is uh wong kar wai (laughs) like obviously (laughs) obviously like jesus christ yeah still it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't terrible and it was interesting but it's probably one of his lower tier movies Kind of like some of the recent Pixar movies. It's almost like he's on the verge of becoming a parody of himself. Well, I guess that's the defining marker of success. <laughs> you become a parody of yourself and people still buy your shit. That's what I... One of the reviews I read for the Darjeeling Limited was like, has Wes Anderson become a parody of himself? I was like, hey, that's... Whoever I mean, wrote after that, that had no idea how much of a parody he was about to become. <laughs> you have to start somewhere. The train of the Darjeeling Limited was obviously the first. Uh, how do you... What do you think of Wes Anderson's movies? I don't know if I've ever asked you this. No, we, we've talked about this before. I like Wes Anderson a lot, and the Darjeeling Limited is my favorite movie of his. Is it? Yep. <laughs> wow didn't see that coming all right that was soul my name is matthew and i'm gabe and you've just been under the wheels i didn't realize anyone besides like kids in the 80s and adults in the 90s played dungeons and dragons there's like a bunch of 50-year-olds who play it now. It actually went through a huge resurgence, partially due to COVID, but also there's like a handful of things that have occurred over the last like three or four years that have made gaming super popular. So, and then with like, you know, with the everyone being inside all day, they're like, oh, this is a good time to start playing Dungeons and Dragons. So they couldn't get graphics cards. So they did the next best thing. They bought player manuals. You don't need the freaking NVIDIA, like, $1,000 graphics card. Well, instead of instead of doing online gaming and Twitch streaming, they couldn't, have, they couldn't find anything like that. So they're like, okay, well, instead of video gaming, I'll do the next best thing. I'll contact people and have, like, casual conversations while we play games as opposed to completely toxic messes.
Uh, you know, yeah. cause online gaming, it's like, you know, you get like that, like, 10-year-old who's like, ooh, you're so gay. And it's like actual gay man on the other side of things. Like, well, yes, I am, but I don't see what that has to do with my playing. <laughs> so... If I am indeed a homosexual, as you described, then why did I have relations with your mother last night? (laughs) (laughs) It's like Xbox Live chat summed up in a single sentence.